Hello and welcome to It'll Be Alright in the 90s, the 90s nostalgia podcast that always plays its cards right. I'm Alex Greenwood and I'm glad to say there'll be no jeopardy this evening because I'm joined as usual by my ever-reliable co-host Stu Joslin. Stu, nice to see you, to see you nice. How are you doing? Hello Greeny, thanks for having me once again. Pleasure to be here, looking forward to this one. It's a subject again that's been on the uh, on the table for quite a while um, and yeah, I've got a lot to say about this one so really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Nice. Some real, eight, uh, real. I almost said 80s then, that was an oh. awful Freudian slip. <laughs> um, it's because we, we were discussing Stu's uh, 80s beer stein just yes, before that's we went right. on yeah, air. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. 80s was in my mind. Um, but it's, yeah, there's some real 90s, sort of shiny 90s plastic television, I think, that we're going to be discussing mm-hmm. today because we are, of course, talking about uh, game shows of the 90s, but we'll get we'll get to that later. Before we do, though, I should say that we are excited to say that today's episode has a joint sponsorship. I think this might be the first time we've had a joint sponsorship, actually, because um, we're sponsored by Littlewoods and Index. So you can use this discount code, which I'm going to give you in a second, uh, in any Littlewoods or Index store. Simply find the item you wish to purchase from their catalogue, take it to the desk and quote all right 90s to get 10% off the purchase price. So thank you very much for this episode's sponsors, Littlewoods and Index. Fantastic. I used to love uh, catalogue code shopping. I don't know. I don't know if Argos. I haven't been in a branch of Argos for a long time now, but I don't know if they still have the, um, as Bill Bailey would put it, the laminated book of dreams. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they still have that out front, and then you punch in the uh, the code and write it on the little, uh, you know, bookmaker slip, and then take yeah, it yeah. up to the counter. <laughs> you know, there was a very fine. Sorry, another thing that the internet's killed, possibly. Yeah, I was going to say there's a very mm-hmm. fine line between an Argos and a bookies, isn't there? In the <laughs> aesthetics, at least. Um, but yeah, I, I've never, I haven't been in one for years either, but I've walked past um, the, the local one in the galleries in Bristol and it looks sort of empty. It's, it's weird. It almost looks like the Apple store now. There's sort of just blank shelves and no furniture or anything. But yeah, so I think I think the internet has, has changed everything there. So mm-hmm. Well, my local Argos um, closed down quite a while ago. We now only have... Um, the one branch of Argos in Chippenham which is inside um the big Sainsbury's mm, yeah so if you want to go to Argos you got to go to Sainsbury's but um yeah, yeah there was there's nothing like the disappointment of uh having some birthday money or some pocket money saved up identifying what you're going to spend it on in the Argos catalogue waiting until you get that shopping trip with your parents running up there you've memorized the code you type it into the thing <laughs> and they haven't bloody got it there was yeah. ne- I've never ever got over that. I remember there was a there was a green Nike watch that I wanted to spend mm-hmm. my birthday money on, and for weeks and weeks I went back week after week and typed in the catalog code, and they never yeah. ever had it. And oh, that's awful. Yeah, I've never quite got over that. But. That's I I would I thought they sort of they got it in they ordered it in if they didn't have it. Is that not how it works? It's just, if if, if, have if it, that was it. an option, uh, either I didn't know about it or my parents didn't know about it and didn't want to didn't want the fuss. Um, yeah. And th- that's always that's always likely. So, <laughs> so I never got the uh, the childhood uh, Nike watch of my dreams, but um, that's yet another scar from the nineties that will never heal, and has led me to present this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, f- there's another reason to get down to Little Woods or Index, anyway, isn't there? Because they, they, yeah. they won't let you down. They won't let you down, especially with ten percent off. So uh, thanks to those guys. Okay, I have some sort of follow up content from the last episode we did that was obviously on our dream car garage and also before that we talked about the most 90s act of violence in our regular what's the most 90s feature (laughs) 
Now, of course, James Miller, aka Fanman, came up um, as a result of Channel Nem's suggestion of who the most nineties paraglider was. You haven't booked and, him. Uh, you haven't got him, have you? He's not about to come true. on the call now. You may have noticed that someone is about to come into the call. Oh. It is. <laughs> no. Um, in fact, we, I shouldn't have joked about that because the whole reason I'm bringing this up is we, we won't be able to get him on the pod because unfortunately he's no longer alive, ah, um, okay. the fan man. Because um, I was looking into his Wikipedia history and he had quite the life, let's just say. Mm-hmm. I think I did um, refer to the fact that he had form with with this sort of paragliding into sporting events or public places and um, sort of making a bit of a nuisance of himself because he had actually, as well as gate crashing the Riddick Bow of Ander Holyfield fight in Las Vegas. He also weirdly went from Las Vegas to Burden Park in Bolton, England, where he interrupted a Bolton Wanderers Arsenal fourth round FA Cup tie. Um, <laughs> so a little bit more down market from Caesar's Palace there. Yeah. And he well, also the Reebok, Burden Park, the old ground. Amazing. Yeah, I I, I didn't know what that I'd, I'd forgotten that that's where they played before Reebok. Um and also, he was witness this is on February the 5th in 94, I think. He was witnessed by British police paragliding along the mall before landing atop Buckingham Palace. He then removed his trousers, revealing that he was painted green from the waist down. He was arrested without incident and fined £200 and then again deported. Because he'd already been deported after the Bolton Wanderers Arsenal uh, event. Uh, but this time he was banned from re-entering the UK for life. So, um mm-hmm. There you go. And then he had lots of up and downs after that and sadly um, uh, met an, an early demise in 2002, which is, is quite sad. So I'll let anyone read up about that if they want on Wikipedia. His name is, is James Miller, uh, brackets parachutist on Wikipedia. But uh, R.I.P. fan man. Yeah. Yeah, very sad. I just wanted to make it clear that he, he will not be appearing on the podcast anytime soon as a result of that. We're still working on Bjork, though, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Discussions right. ongoing, and also part of the what was the most nineties act of violence? Your choice, of course, Stu, was the Eric Cantona kick at Selhurst Park in ninety yes. five. Well, this may interest you, Stu, but my housemate was there. I lived with a person who was at that event, who was in the ground. He was a, a season ticket holder for Crystal Palace. He would have been ten at the time, same age as me, and he was sat opposite. Um, and I was asking him. Uh, this is Aaron, by the way. Mm-hmm. I was asking him what he he can remember about it, and he says that uh, he he can't really separate what he remembers personally from what he has seen subsequently on TV because he's seen it so many times, you know, on TV yeah. afterwards. Mm-hmm. He can't really remember what is a real memory, but he says he he definitely does remember it being exciting and knowing that Cantona was in the crowd. Um, he doesn't really remember why he got sent off or anything, but. He just remembers the sort of the uproar, but uh, unfortunately, he doesn't remember any more details than that. Then I suppose what other details are there? But um, he was there. absolutely well. That's just more than enough that we 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 have somebody connected with the pod who was actually there. Yeah. Um, what a story! I mean, you know, you've you've got that for life. You were there at one of the most iconic sporting moments of of the nineties. Dare I say it? One of the most iconic moments of football, British yeah. football at least. Um, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. We're going to be doing our What's the Most Nineties feature in a second. But uh, just before that, also in the last episode, we were referring to a specific car. It was my the, the choice that I didn't want in my garage, the Lotus Carlton. And I told a story mm-hmm. about this uh, 40 RA number plated Vauxhall Carlton that had outrun the police after a spate of ram raiding. 
and uh, it's sort of gone missing. I knew no one knew where it was. And Stu, I think you sort of in passing suggested, you know, they should go on the DVLA plate checker yeah, to see where it is. Standard. And then I thought, well, actually, I'm going to do that because why not? And I went on there. Lo and behold, 40RA is registered to a green voxel, registered in <laughs> April 1992, and it was last taxed in October this year. It's coming up to its tax this year, sorry, this month, because we're recording this in October, I should say. Um, and so it lives, basically. And I did some more some more digging, and there's a whole sort of folklore around this car, lots of rumours, there's sort of snapshots and these photos that have been snapped of 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 it and also weirdly briefly the 40 ra plate was used on a hyundai suv right so there are photos of this in like a supermarket car park somewhere but it's mm-hmm. now been put back on a lotus carlton presumably the original one and there's rumors that it's the original owner has bought it back or something basically it seems like a very complicated story and most people won't care about it but just to say the the, the 40 ra lotus carlton apparently still lives so if you know who owns it, you are the owner. Any any connections, please get in touch and uh, tell us what you know. We want to know. I mean, listeners, you won't be able to see this, but Alex will. He will. He will have seen that my wig flew off when he, when he told <laughs> me that that car was still existing. Yeah. We are blowing the lid off of all of these big stories here, and it'll be all right in the nineties. Stick with us. You know, we've got people. <laughs> we've got people who are in the ground at Selhurst Park when Eric Cantona performed his kung fu kick. We know where Forty RA is and that it still lives. I mean. This is unbelievable stuff. Doesn't how are we, we going to top this, actually? You should have saved some of this. You I should, should have saved some for next week, yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. Time for What's the Most 90s, and in these highly politicised times, I've gone for something current, and I'd like to ask Alex this week who he thinks the most 90s politician is. Mm. Yeah, very topical. Not that politics ever goes away, but it's very political at the moment. There's a lot of politics. Indeed. Going on at the moment in the UK. But I have gone... I, no one really jumped out at me for this. A couple of people did. But I was quite adamant that I had to pick a new Labour politician because even though New Labour only got in in 97, towards the end of the decade, I still think they kind of typify the decade. So I've gone for them and I picked fairly randomly Peter Mandelson because I think he sort of sums up that new dawn of of the new Labour Party. He was very sort of polished and businesslike and very distant from like the 80s and 70s Labour parties, which is the reason why I didn't go for John Prescott, because I thought he was maybe a little bit more um, kind of trade union in vibe. So I wanted that sort of polished, new look Labour politician. And that's why I've gone for Peter Mandelson. His nickname apparently was the Prince of Darkness, because of his ruthlessness and, and his media savvy. <laughs> and that's another thing I think about the, the new Labour cabinet of the time, that it was very media savvy and and had this whole new look. So, yeah, I'm not completely uh, convinced about my choice, but that's who I've gone for. I've gone, to, gone for Peter Mandelson, um, or Mandy, as he was known. <laughs> what about you? Nice choice. Well, I have chosen uh, Chatshaw Charlie, Charles Kennedy, uh, mm. who was the leader of the Liberal Democrats yes. from 1999 to 2006, um, but obviously a, a member of parliament for a long time before that and sort of came came to fame really in the 90s through his appearances on shows like Have I Got News For You, um, where he was always an amiable uh, and, and willing guest. 
there was a famous clip of, of him on the show that they used a number of times where he's playing um he's he's got a 10 pin bowling set in a in the lounge of a retirement home and all oh, of yeah. the uh, all of the residents you know the one I'm talking about yeah all of the residents are there and he he bowls the ball and just completely misses all of the pins yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's a very slow bowl and it just inches past the um inches past the pins it's, it's very funny and they used it a number of times but I just think that he presented really a, a face of politics that that isn't often seen either in the 90s or now is is that more amiable side of the politics world I think may, maybe in modern times I think you you know there are outliers um people like Jess Phillips who I, who I think is brilliant uh and and uh, and other politicians Baroness Farsi um who who do appear on the same sort of shows and and present a uh present a warmer face shall we say um of yeah of politics but but i think charles kennedy really was the first um and when he passed away a few years ago sadly if i got news who actually paid tribute at the end of, of one of their episodes by by doing a couple of minutes of of his best bits from the show which to my knowledge and i've, I've watched the program for a long time i'm not sure they've ever done for, for anybody else who's been on the show which just goes to show you how highly regarded he was um by that particular program mm. um and yeah, uh, I just think it's it, it's something that I would I miss, and it's something I'd like to see to see come back a little in the world of politics. Although, sadly, I think you'll agree it's probably swinging more the other way, with uh, politicians appearing more aggressive than than going the other way. And it's something I miss. So, so I've, for that reason, I've chosen Charles Kennedy. Yeah, very nice. I did wonder if you were going to go for Paddy Pants down because of your your sort of personal history with him and yes well that's he, been well covered um, yeah 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 um, I, you know I wanted to uh, I, I did have a think for a think about John Major as well just mm. because he was obviously prime minister for for the the greatest part of the decade yeah um, that's true yeah he was but um no, in, in the end I, I had to go for for Charles yeah yeah good choice we did have one piece of correspondence <coughs> about this on Twitter and Alex I'll just ask you for your opinion on this because I think this was a name that you were going considering as well. Uh, the real Sir Malcolm Carrot, who might be a, a Tory politician himself, actually, the <laughs> honourable member for Bournemouth or something. <laughs> um, but he says it's got to be two Jags. Uh, obviously, John Prescott, who we mentioned in the last episode of, with where, with his um, encounter with Chumbo at the Brits. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's quite rare for someone to make uh, two consecutive appearances in the discussions about what's the most 90s. So well done to, to two drags for that. But yeah, I definitely toyed with him um, for this question, um, not in real life. Because uh, you, you would never, it's one politician you would never want to toy with. No, with no, that left not. jab. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it could have been him. I went for Mandelson in the end, but yeah, it could, could easily have been. Prescott and definitely a great great choice so um yeah there's another great have I got news for you clip of um Prescott I think he's being interviewed and he he thinks he's being recorded but it's live and oh, yeah. he, he fluffs his answer to the first question and then oh says, yeah he says can we do, can we do that again that was shit yeah and then you no, know, like we're live Mr Prescott <laughs> yeah yeah that's great <laughs> time for the main topic at hand now which is of course game shows of the 90s we've each picked three each to, to talk about as usual um probably not so many personal recollections in this one as, as some previous episodes but i am uh, very interested to hear what stew you've picked uh, i've got my three here mm-hmm. um so yeah we, let's just get started what was your first choice of the game show from the 90s you want to talk about 
yeah, no personal memories in the manner that I never actually appeared on any of these programs, but, but I certainly enjoyed watching them. Um, so the first one I'd like to talk about is Big Break, which ran from 1991 to 2002. Um, before we get into this, uh, I just want to say I'm not here to examine uh, Jim Davidson's career or outlook uh, on life at all. Um, I just want to talk about Big Break and examine this in, in isolation. So uh, so that, that's where we're going to go and we'll leave all the other stuff behind. Um, the first thing we have to say about Big Break itself is that clearly it's a rip off of uh, Bullseye, which was highly <laughs> successful on ITV throughout the 80s. Yeah. Bullseye, I think, is probably my favourite uh, quiz and game show of all time. Um, but it's obviously very much associated with the 80s and I didn't feel it was worthy of examination here. Um, so we'll save it for it will be excellent in the 80s when we uh, when we get that going inevitably in the future. <laughs> um, an iconic theme tune. I think you'll agree. Uh, one oh, okay. that everybody remembers and, and loves to yeah. this day. Hopefully you'll be able to drop a clip in here so I, I don't have to. to sing it for everyone. <laughs> it's only a game so And the show used to consist of uh, four rounds. So first of all, there would be Red Hot, where uh, a contestant would answer questions in order to gain the snooker player time on the table to pot as many red balls as they could. And then the uh, two players with the highest amount of, uh, of reds potted would then proceed into the next round. The loser of the three contestants in that round would go through to Virgo's trick shot, um, which was the best part of the show. I always loved the trick shots. And... Um, they used to even do uh, trick shot specials. They realised this. They realised that this was the best part of the show. Um, and I remember having a trick shot special on VHS, which I recorded off the TV that I watched over and over again, just because I, uh, just because it was absolutely brilliant. Then it would be pocket money, which was the uh, round where the coloured balls on the table coincided with uh, categories of question. Uh, and then you would go through to the final, where obviously they'd need to uh, pot all the balls in order to... Uh, to win all the prizes on the colours. So, um, as I say, the, the the idea is clearly clearly taken from Bullseye, but still executed really well, I think, in terms of how the rounds are constructed and how the questions link to the coloured balls and, and everything else. Um, <laughs> I remember clearly, for some reason, and I don't know why, one episode where there was a wheelchair-bound contestant uh, who got through to the final, and when they were running through the prizes, one of the prizes was a rowing machine, and they had a big laugh about that in the studio when they cut back. Yeah, <laughs> that they'd um, <laughs> that they'd made the mistake of offering a own machine as a as a prize to to a wheelchair user. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I've, it was a show that I always enjoyed uh, on a Saturday evening. And yeah, I, I've still it still pops up on you. You can still get it on YouTube as with most of these things. And mm. uh, I, I don't mind an episode of Big Break from time to time. I think there's one. <laughs> there's even one hanging around on iPlayer. I think if you search for it and for some reason. Really? There's one That's episode weird. of Big Break on iPlayer, so uh, <laughs> so go and have a look at that. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about Big Break to start off with. Yeah, yeah, very 90s. Um, I do remember watching it now and again. Never, never a program I would sort of sit down intentionally to watch, but it was that time of the evening where you'd inevitably be watching TV. And yeah, I definitely caught a few glimpses of it. Were they can, the people playing the snooker, were they professionals? Was it just members of the public was it like the same as bullseye basically yes that's right well, no so so the the um yeah there were three members of the public answering the questions 
and then the snooker players were all professionals. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So there'd be, you know, some some obviously who had retired and did just come and do this, but then there'd be some current, like there's a very, very young Stephen Hendry appears um, early on in the series. Also, James Wattener from Thailand, who clearly hasn't got a clue what is going on throughout <laughs> <laughs> the entire show. Um, and he's just been told, obviously, to, to play snooker and, uh, and do this. Stuff. <laughs> awesome um, yeah, no, it, it was always um, it was always professional players. And as the show developed, they would have their own uh, like walkout music. So Jimmy White used to come on to Jimmy Jimmy by by the undertones. Mm-hmm. Um and little things like that just made it uh, made it even more fun. So yeah, a very very popular program for for eleven years um, until it was eventually rested. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> was that a pun when you said rested? Because there's, there's oh yeah, rest- oh, that's not it. You know, it was no pun intended, but um, clearly I've made one. So no, we'll have that. I imagine um, <laughs> Jimmy White just would always choke at the end. <laughs> if, if, if you'll allow me, Jimmy White. Yeah. Um, joke or a got joke to the final expense. 20 time 20 episodes in a row and just couldn't, <laughs> yeah. couldn't win it couldn't yeah, get yeah. Over the line. oh we love you jimmy i'm sorry yeah yeah he on. is one of my favorite snookerists so um yeah we, we should say that we do love you jim right okay my first choice is supermarket sweep which originally ran from 1993 to 2001 so very similar actually to big break uh maybe it's just a golden era of of, of game shows i'm not sure uh, it was then revived in 2007 and then later again, like very recently revived and hosted by Rylan Clark Neal mm-hmm. in 2019, uh, but it was then cancelled again, so that didn't last very long. It was originally a US game show, which I, I wasn't aware of until I looked this up. Um, originally airing in the 1960s, which was, was surprising, but only I think for one series, and then um, came back properly in the 90s, the same as the UK version. And so for anyone who doesn't know, the show was was a combination of answering questions and and dashing around this this pretend supermarket. So it's quite sort of action based, uh, lots of running around. And so there'd be various challenges, like there would be uh, you'd, you'd answer a question and the team that got it right would have to run around the supermarket and find a specific item like, a, I don't know, a, um, a chicken leg or something. And then there'd be one where they'd have to compare the prices of different um, items like a jar of olives, is it more or less expensive than a, a tin of soup? Those sort of things. But then it was all really gearing up for the, the main event, which was the, the actual supermarket sweep itself, <laughs> where the contestants would have accrued time through the challenges before. And they would use this time to run around the supermarket and gather as many items as they could. And when I was a kid, before I'd actually watched it, I assumed that they just kept what they grabbed. <laughs> so it was like just going around the supermarket and taking the food you wanted. Mm. But of course, it wasn't that. It was the cash equivalent of whatever they picked up in the supermarket, as well as there being sort of inflatables and various other challenges they could do at the same time to get more money. And so, yeah, you, you would, whoever had the most items in terms of cash equivalent would, would win. Um, I feel like there's a joke here to be made about the, the current cost of living crisis, and how much something like, uh, let's say, I mean, listeners, bear with me while I try and formulate a joke here. Um <laughs> Something like uh, this is a live piece of art you're, you're witnessing yeah. here. Uh, you could make more money going on supermarket sweep now than you could on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. How about that? Something like that. Because of the strong guy, food prices are stratospheric at the moment. Um, I'm going to carefully edit that so it sounds like I've just made a joke straight yeah. away. But, um, Great. We'll do that all in post. There's no need for them to ever know. We're all right. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just quite like it because it's a sort of I should have said at the start, really, I, I have a bit of a guilty pleasure for game shows. 
Uh, and it's a true guilty pleasure, the sort of thing I'd hide from people, like, you know, I'd quickly turn it back over if, if, mm-hmm. if it was on, if someone came in the room. Because there is something weirdly pointless about watching a quiz show from 20 years ago. I, d- I don't know, it just seems, there's no reason why it's more pointless than watching one that's new, but mm. it just seems a little bit tragic. Um, but I am a bit of a fan of them. And, and Super Mario Super is the sort that if it's on, I can't stop watching. And I think it's just, the, the, the concept of it is sort of addicted to watch and i think it's because it's something you'd want to do yourself and the idea of someone saying right you've got three minutes to go into the supermarket and grab as much as you can it's something i think it shares with uh finders keepers you know the yeah, yeah. TV kids game show where you want to do it yourself so i think that's why it, it's it's such a good game show concept and why it lasted for, for for quite a long time but yeah i do have a couple of questions about it well not questions really but assumptions so i assume that there are unwritten rules about how the sweep is conducted because i i and i know a lot of other people think why don't they just go to the cd rack and take all the cds because <laughs> back in the 90s a cd would be worth what 12 quid 13 yeah. quid you fill up the whole rack um, i, I do think there would there was some sort of upper limit on on high price items yeah i think i think i've heard that mentioned in the commentary when when watching old episodes oh, they, okay. they, so they, did they could only take like three full-size turkeys for instance or yeah you, you was, know whatever yeah in order to, yeah. to make it fair definitely um they did always take turkeys didn't they it was always turkeys always turkeys and, and ironing boards yeah which is silly board. if you think about it because they're all very unwieldy and you have to take the trolley straight back yeah yeah for a changeover the ironing so, board. yeah, yeah. I mean, you took um, it under your arm, I suppose, and then, I don't know, yeah. does, it, does it have to be in the trolley? That's the thing. Good question. Yeah. Well, th- there were yeah. some rules, So, because I was also used to think, why don't they just stick their arm out and run along the uh, aisle mm-hmm. and just sweep everything into the, the trolley? I think I know but, what you're going to say here. Yeah, well, you're not allowed to break any items, and you're not allowed to leave anything on the floor. 25 right. quid fine for everything yeah. you break or drop, so you could lose yourself a lot of money, especially if it's like the uh, the pulses aisle and the beans. <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting a lot of money for those cans, but you're going to lose a lot if you drop them on the floor and leave them. So, yeah. um, so that is why people didn't do exactly. that. Um, or you run into, for instance, the, the loose Brussels sprouts by accident. Crash, come around the corner, crash, <laughs> yeah. crash the trolley into those. You are buggered. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's why, why I've, uh, I've chosen that. I think it's just a good concept, good, good clean fun, and presented by one of the, I'd say, one of the great game show presenters of, of, of our time in Dale Winton, sadly now departed, but um, a brilliant presenter in his day. And uh, yeah, that's my first choice, Supermarket Sweep. The late, great Dale, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was one of the great weekday 25 past nine game shows mm. when there was a gap yeah. between GMTV and This Morning. Uh, mm. There would be a, there would be a program there. I want to mention a, a couple that I used to uh, that I used to watch on on school holiday in that slot uh, later on in my honourable mentions list. Yeah. Um, but I haven't watched an episode of Supermarket Sweep since um, my wife broke her leg. Right, this is this is un, this is unconnected to Supermarket Sweep in in terms of the injury. <laughs> um, but when while she was um, bed and sofa bound. Um, I was uh, going to work in the morning, but getting her on the, the settee first, making sure that she was okay and had everything set up for the day um, before I left. And I would always uh, obviously put the TV on and on challenge, it would be supermarket sweep in the morning. And I would put it on anyway, just while I was having breakfast, just for whatever. And um, one day, this is in like uh, the middle of summer as well. Um, there was one day that I forgot to fill her water jug before I left the house. 
and uh, she, she tells a story that she she fell asleep again after I left the the flat, woke up again, and about six or seven episodes of Supermarket Sweep had gone by because they were showing like ten of them in a row. Yeah. She couldn't she couldn't work out how long she'd been asleep for because of this. <laughs> And then she realised I hadn't left her with any liquids, and of course she couldn't carry the jug because she was on the crutches and everything. And yeah. it was a whole, it was, no, it was a terrible day. So since then, um, I've I've sworn off supermarket sweep. Oh dear, it's just yeah, yeah so it's bad, bad memories of um, unintentional neglect of my my nearest and dearest. Yeah. Oh well, fair enough. I'm sorry I brought up. No, I shouldn't have chosen it. No, no, no. Of course it is. It's your choice, and of course it deserves a it deserves a place here at, uh, at the table with uh, with the other programs we're going to talk about. Of course it does. It's, this is my cross to bear. <laughs> um. Well, let's go on to your second choice then. Yes. Uh, shooting stars. I want to talk about. Oh, uh, the classic era ran from 1995 to 1997. Now, bizarrely, bearing in mind that I would have been uh, nine when the final series was broadcast, um, I was allowed to watch this. Um, oh, that is surprising. And it, it may have been repeats later on down the line. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But but I was allowed to watch this because, well, my parents loved it for a start. Uh, my dad still says that there, there's a particular episode of Shooting Stars, which he says is one of the, from the, from the first minute to the last, was one of the funniest things he's ever seen on television. And, uh, and and that that particular episode always sticks in his mind. Um, but I presume that they must have thought that most of the humour would go over my head and that I would just like the slapstick stuff, which I did, to be fair. There's lots of classic uh, Vic and Bob sort of tropes in here. Um, uh, obviously, the club singer, um, Vic rubbing his legs at the attractive female contestant who was always conveniently seated immediately to his right. <laughs> One of my favourite... Um, clips which uh, me and my dad still talk about to this day um i don't know if you'll know this one i hope you do is the famous clip of um paul shane performing you never close your eyes um <laughs> i think uh. it was on pebble mill um but they've cut it up and he's, <laughs> he's performing it and at one point he just goes baby baby in like a very pronounced <laughs> staccato way yeah again i hope you can find it and put it in here to, to do it justice instead of me doing it um but, but we, st we still drop that in uh, from, from time to time into conversation. Let's have the clips round. First clip is for you, Team A. Lovely Mark with your rubbery, rubbery, rubbery waves. <laughs> you never close your eyes You're Baby, baby! There, of Paul Shen singing, baby, baby. <laughs> Plenty of, I, I mean, I've rewatched all these again recently. Um, again, they're all on YouTube, etc. They're all out there to um to enjoy again. Um, there are some really stone cold classic '90s guests on on the classic era of this program. So Wolf from Gladiators pops up in a rare non-Gladiators appearance. Mm. Incidentally, on Wolf from Gladiators, and this is a complete aside. Did you know that he once turned down for Gillingham reserves? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> when was that? Was that before? That must have been before Gladiators. No, no, no. This is this is during Gladiators. He's oh, um, right. uh, yeah. I, I saw it came up online on something the other day, but um, he's credited that there's a there's a uh, like a newspaper photo of him actually playing in the game in the Gillingham kit, mm. and then there's a picture of the team sheet which he is credited on as the Wolf at number seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's definitely worth looking up um, yeah. if you haven't seen it already. I'm, 
probably some of the people who listen to this pod are plugged into the same sorts of channels as I am and, and may have seen that already. Um, but yeah, people like Dermot Morgan, obviously Father Ted, uh, mm-hmm. and and Joe Guest, uh, the the probably oh, yeah. would we say she's the most nineties glamour model? Are we going to put that one in the letter? It's as between well? her and Melinda Messenger. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that's a discussion for another time. Actually, yeah. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll we'll have to come back to that one. And again, there there, there are so many things that have that I've come away with from the program that still to this day, I still message um, my best friend Max occasionally with with some true or false questions from from, from shooting stars. But one of our one of my favourites is um, which of these is a fictional uh, mountain? Is it Ben Nevis, Mont Blanc, or Mount Twatty Bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I often quite often do that with him in the pub uh, when, when I see him so uh, yeah uh, I had to mention shooting stars it, when I watched it for the first time when I was very young as I say a lot of it would have gone over my head um, but on on rewatching it all again recently um, it is a classic it, it's one of these things that works sort of 70% of the time and then there, there are quite a few things which um, which by today's standards aren't uh, aren't great but um, but for, on the whole, it's uh, yeah, it's one of my favourite quiz and, and game shows of the nineties. That's for sure. Yeah, very good choice. It's sort of peak, well, peak Vic and Bob, but also peak absurdist nineties humour. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the things I watch if I'm feeling a bit down or need cheering up for some reason, I can always rely on the George Dawes compilation of uh, <laughs> his best songs on YouTube. Uh, for example, uh, baked potato. Yeah. Um, that's I think the best one, and and peanuts, of course, where um, Vic and Bob themselves in the background can't can't stop laughing, <laughs> which makes it so much better. It's um, our so, peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, brilliant choice. I'm, I'm glad glad we've got that. My second choice is now that I think about it, completely different. It feels weird talking about this in the same episode now that I'm coming to it, but uh, <laughs> it's Ready, Steady, Cook uh, <laughs> without a, sh- a shred of... Uh, we are a broad um, church here. We are a yeah. broad church. If <laughs> Not a shred else. of absurdist humour in this <laughs> at all, unfortunately. But Ready, Steady, Cook aired from 1994 to 2010. And then there was a, a recent comeback presented by Rylan Clark Neal in 2020, which was then cancelled after two series. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting deja vu here from uh, <laughs> yeah. from the previous one I talked about. And so from 94 to 2000, obviously encompassing all of the 90s, it was presented by Fern Britain. And then 2000 to 2010, Ainsley Herrick took over. And then the, the, the premise is very simple. Two contestants would bring in their, their bag of ingredients they, they would have had a budget of five pounds unless it was one of the special episodes there was like a bistro episode or something where they would get 750 and there was a budget <laughs> one where they would only get 350 um but normally it was five pounds and then they would they would pick say five ingredients bring them to their celebrity chef and then the chefs had to prepare the meal and so whoever prepared the best meal out of the two celebrity chefs would, would win the episode um and obviously there were certain ingredients that they were given for you know just as a given like um, pasta or eggs or flour or stuff like that. So the contestants wouldn't have to bring them. And then the the winner would traditionally win a cash prize of £100, believe it or not. Uh, and then I read this on Wikipedia that apparently the runner-up used to receive a hamper, which would include a variety of items, such as a set of knives, pasta and sauces, olive oil and balsamic vinegar. Mm-hmm. But later um, they received a ready steady cook mug due to budget restraints, <laughs> um, which is a bit sad. 
you know things are going bad to the the finance department of ITV when uh, no sorry mm. BBC when um, they've had to just give out mugs as prices instead. So yeah, I, I, the reason I picked it is because I think it's just and much like with Supermark Super, I think it's a good premise that grabs you straight away. It's, it's always what a good long-lasting game show requires. I think is a, a proper kernel of a good concept. It can't just sometimes they're overworked, especially the daytime ones you get that sort of come and go. Um, these days where there's nothing really to grab you there it's the ones that have a proper good idea that really lasts like pointless now or the chase you know something that will stick around and i think this had that and i'm surprised that it didn't that the revival with with rylan didn't stick around because i think it is a good concept but there you go um presumably i, I could make another joke here about the cost of food because of the cost of living crisis maybe <laughs> they would now need 50 pounds i don't know mm-hmm. um but you know, make the make the joke yourself. Um, so that's why I've chosen it. Um, Stu, before we move on, I wanted to ask, how many of the original twelve celebrity chefs could you name? Oh, right. Okay, quizzes. I will warn. I mean, there's a lot of people that I don't recognise the name of, but there's there are some that you will. So okay, right. Brian Turner. Yes. Because I remember him from the famous outtake where the um. They're doing some, they're piping some cream onto a cake or something, and it, it goes a bit wrong, and it ends up on on both his and Fern Britton's face. Mm. Uh, yeah, I thought so. So Brian Turner, mm-hmm. Kevin Woodford, very good, yeah. Who presented Can't Cook, Won't Cook after that? I think. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Ainsley, Ainsley Harriet, of course. He's not on here, so he He's must have come, he must have come a bit later. This mm. might just be the okay. first series for all I know, but it's, it just says the original twelve. Righto. Uh, I'll, go, I'll say Nick Nen. Uh, yeah. yeah, very right, good. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, um, official 90s chef of the pod was a. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and now he's struggling. How many have I got? Four? Uh, yeah, actually, was just not on here. He came a bit later. Oh, he was definitely on it. So he's not one of the original ones. So. <laughs> um, Leslie, somebody? Uh, yes, Leslie Waters. Leslie Waters, right. There's two active chefs today who are on here i'll tell you that much right one of whom is very big on tv oh come on think man think not james martin yes it is james martin oh right okay i thought thought that would have been too too early for him um i think i mean listen i was i was struggling with leslie waters so i think we should i should probably call an end there and and ask you to to put me out of my misery okay yeah ross burden was the first one never heard of him gino de campo was the other one i thought you might get oh okay uh Gary Dawson, who I've never heard of. No. Uh, Paul Rankin, who I think I've heard of. I'm yeah, 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 Paul Rankin, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Tanner, uh, Tony Tobin, uh, and Phil Vickery was the other one, who is also... Is Phil Vickery the one who's married to Fern Britton? Is that yes, right? I think so. But is that the rugby player Phil Vickery or the chef Phil Vickery? Oh, good question. I mean, right I mean who knows? Are they the same person? <laughs> Maybe, is, yeah. Is that his summer job? Oh, no, I've just typed it into Wikipedia and it says Phil Vickery, brackets rugby union, Phil Vickery, brackets chef. So, okay, right. Presumably it's a chef. Um, just checking. Um, <laughs> spouse married 2000, all separated in 2020. Oh. Just, they had a sort of two decades together, but something changed in 2020. Well, I'll tell you what know. it was. It was that ready, steady, cook comeback. Yes, it you must know? have been. There must have been divide. Maybe he was invited and Fern didn't want him to take it. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, ours is not to reason why. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Either that, it was just a classic COVID breakdown in a relationship. Yeah, yeah probably. Planning them around. 
anyway, yeah. So that that was my second <laughs> choice. Ready, steady, cook. Excellent. I think I've told uh, the story about uh, the Take That console on the VHS. Have I told that? <laughs> yes, you have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 So, was it, so was it, just remind us, it was you recorded one for yourself or something. Yeah. So it was Take That live at Earl's Court '95, and it was on on TV at Christmas. I taped it and, and watched it over and over again. And then one day I put the tape in and it was an episode of, and I remember this specifically, it was an episode of Celebrity Ready Steady Cook with none other than everybody's favourite Scottish square-jawed Formula One driver, David Coulthard. Oh, well, at least, at least it was a good episode of uh, Ready Steady Cook. <laughs> and I've, again, I've never forgiven my dad for that. There's a lot of things I've, I've never forgiven or forgotten about. Um, clearly, I need to let, let some of these things go. Maybe my life will improve a little bit, but... No, come on. If you let these things go, we wouldn't be doing the podcast. So. <laughs> uh, but we should definitely do a special episode where you just list the things you want to get up your chest. Yeah, yeah. All of the uh, times I was slighted in the 90s, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what is your third choice then? Uh, okay, had to talk about this. Um, I've gone for Robot Wars, 1998-2001 in the classic era. Um, and this was part of, and I'm sure I've spoken about this before again, this was part of the big Friday night in TV-wise, uh, mm-hmm. late 90s. So there would always be a double of The Simpsons, uh, BBC Two, 6 o'clock to 6.45. Robot Wars, 6.45 to 7.30. And then you would turn over to BBC One, probably for a question of sport. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, that after, sounds right. Yeah, and then after that, there'd be um, sitcoms and, and things, and maybe a repeat of uh, the odd repeat of Porridge or Blackadder or something like that as well. Yeah. Um, but Robot Wars formed a big part of this. Everybody in the playground wanted to be on Robot Wars and everybody said that their dad was building a robot so they could go on Robot Wars, is what I remember. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to be on there. We're applying. Um, <laughs> um, before we go any further, I have a little quiz for you. Go on. How many of the six house robots can you name from the original series of Robot Wars? Oh, well, there's six. Uh, I was thinking there are four. Uh, well, I can name... Well, there was Sergeant Bash, who was my favourite. Yep. Mm-hmm. There was Matilda. Yep. There was Shunt. Yep. There was... God, there were more than that. Because oh, Sir Killalot came along later, didn't he? Uh, yes, but I do have Sir Killalot down here. So okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we include two... him. And there were two more? Yeah. Um... I think one, one, is, one is a free-moving robot and one is static, I would say, if that helps. Oh, right. Um... No, I don't think I'm going to get them. Tell me. Okay, so Dead Metal. Dead Metal, yeah. Oh, I did know yeah. that. And then uh, the Sentinel as well, which I think was just a rotating arm with like a mace on it. That, oh, okay. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the robots had to dodge around. Um, big memories of this one. Uh, Jonathan Pierce on commentary, brilliant. which was um, which was absolutely brilliant and a, a real departure, obviously, from, from football commentary at the time. But, but his style of commentary, I think, really fitted Robot Wars very well yeah. um, that overexcited um i should actually have played in uh, last week um the commentary of him doing the radio commentary on capital gold of the eric Cantona. uh Kung oh Fu. yeah of course, if, if you yeah. haven't heard that um that that's brilliant as well yeah yeah <laughs> a man who has Eric 
of the competing robots, my favourite was Razor, uh, who was a who was a champion, mm, yeah, which had sort of pincers on the side. It was quite a small robot, but it had pincers on the sides. Yeah, um, which are very good. Uh, Craig Charles and Philippa Forrester, the dream presenting team, originally fronted by. Do you remember who was the host in the first series? Um, and then Craig Charles took over. Was it Clarkson? It was Clarkson. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but but Craig Charles is definitely the. Um, the, the classic era presenter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of my favourite elements of this series were, were the people who inevitably would enter robots. Do you ever watch the, the Red Bull soapbox race on TV? Yeah, when it comes up on like Dave or whatever, yeah. right? And there'll be somebody at the top who has created a soapbox and they've used bicycle wheels mm-hmm. and they never learn. No, the bicycle wheels always bump yeah. the first yeah, corner, yeah. right? On that first burn, they yeah. all, and, it, and, and I always say, like, when, when will they learn? Why are they doing this to themselves? <laughs> yeah. I, I loved the robots where some facet of the robot that they built just left them completely open to being <laughs> decimated. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> there's one I quite clearly remember called Brute, B-R-O-O-T, um, which had wooden wheels, <laughs> right? And and, and you're, put, you're putting it in... In this, you know, robot pit, I'll call it, where there's flames and, you know, things that are going to cut through and yeah, all yeah. sorts of, you know, all sorts of dangerous stuff. And they go with they go with a material like wood for the wheels and they got knocked out and they, they left even before the episode had end, finished. They went into like the, yeah, you know, the engineering thing with Philippa and they, they were like next to the table where they'd been before and they'd just gone because they just got decimated. Those wheels are plywood. Oh, and Matilda smells wood and goes in! And there's the immediate danger of having wooden wheels! A tired challenge from Brute. Yeah. I also remember uh, th- there was another robot that did a bit better, but it was always covered in... Um, it was red fur with black Yeah, spots. yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. They, they came back with every series, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember too. the name, but but that fur yeah. would always catch on fire as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that was a bit of fun, wasn't it? They knew what they were doing. They They... they... That was intentional, I think. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it came back with uh, with Dara O'Brien uh, a bit later on uh, in well in in recent years actually, but it's um, but it's it's gone away again since. But Robot Wars definitely, I, I'd say an aspirational program. This this was the one that I watched in the nineties that I most wanted to be a part of, probably because I was a kid. Mm. But but you know, building a robot, taking it through, going up there and, and doing it was. Um, was out of reach but at the same time you know an absolute dream and i'm sure a lot of the, a lot of kids felt the same that they would love to have got the opportunity to do that so yeah i had to put in robot wars i know i know you're a big fan of this program as well. oh yeah this was big i mean like i said it started in 98 so i was 13 12 13 uh yeah 12 actually i think because i was in year seven and it was yeah it was big i remember being a member of the uh the after school robot wars club that uh-huh. was uh, would meet after school in the T9 computer room, uh, <laughs> headed by none other than Mr. Taylor Beasley, Stephen Taylor Beasley. Um, Legend. Yeah. Hi, Steve, he, if you're listening. Yeah, hello, Steve. Um, and I remember him, I remember distinctly him being very clear when we, for the first meeting we had, him saying, like, we'll just pick whoever is the best, whoever does the best design. It's not, there's not going to be any sort of romance or any you know, beating about the bush or just being polite, it's going to be whoever's the best will make the team and that's how it's going to work. And um, 
Uh, that was about the only meeting we ever had. <laughs> Nothing happened. There was never any drive or any impotence. It was just like we must have met me- maximum three times uh, as a as a group, just jotted some vague ideas on paper, doodles, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Stephen Taylor Beasley, Mr. Taylor Beasley, let us down a little bit there with his leadership, I'd say. Um, <laughs> unless he went off, maybe maybe him and a couple of students did really go for it and they just they left us all in t9 computer room and they were off doing it but i never saw them on the program so i don't think they, that did happen but that well, shows you know, just how into it i was so do you remember a, a program which came along a little bit later called techno games which was uh, sort of the same thing it, it was robots but it was it was an olympic style they did like high jump they did swimming they did kind yeah. Of, yeah so um my friend phil greenland who's very technical minded actually um, went and auditioned uh, a craft, a swimming craft for that. Um, mm. And another legend of Corsham School, Howell Evans, uh, accompanied him to Birmingham, where they went to um, where they went to trial this uh, this thing in the pool. Sadly, it didn't get through. Um, but ah. yeah, so so maybe uh, you know, so one of my friends came a little bit closer to realizing some some robotic TV dreams yeah. uh, from Corsham School, but. But as far as I know, nobody from Caution School yet has um, has won any sort of robotics themed competition on TV. Uh, I think the closest we've come is Joe Sugg's recent uh, House of Games uh, victory. Oh, I'm behind. There's, there's no robots. Uh, there's no robots involved. No. In that. I'm sorry if I just spoiled that. You spoiled the House of Games oh, for me now. Mate, oh, well. I'm so sorry. Can you remember the first robot to win the first series of Robot Wars? I certainly can, mate. Roadblock. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Hang on, how many can I get? Roadblock Razor. Did Chaos Two win it twice? I think so, yeah. But yeah. who the, the who won it second? It wasn't Chaos Two. It was a yellow one. Panic Attack. Panic Attack. Yeah, that's it. Roadblock, Panic Attack, Chaos Two, Chaos Two, Razor, Tornado, Typhoon Two, Typhoon Two. Sorry, I've just remembered another one, which was Hypno Disc. Uh, yeah, I was going to say hitting the disc earlier. Yeah, that yeah. Was which had just had like a, a sanding wheel on the front, yeah. and that, that, that was it. Yeah, but it was brilliant, very effective. Unfortunately, yeah. never won. But that, yeah, that was another memorable one. Occasionally, you'd see like a like a flywheel or a circular saw would fly off and go sort of over the barriers, <laughs> embed itself into the ceiling of the arena. Um, which I, I hope all of these are on YouTube as well. This is another odyssey I've got to start. Yeah, uh, friend and and. Uh, friend and frequent guest of the pod Joe Barter got in touch with me the other day to let me know that um, a YouTube user has uploaded every episode of Noel's House Party that was ever broadcast oh wow so uh, so that's something else now that needs to be investigated further shall we move on to your final choice right. before we get too bogged down yeah I, I, I just have noticed that Chaos 2 has its own Wikipedia entry which I'm going to have to read <laughs> later um, <laughs> But for now, I will move on to my third and final choice, which actually follows on very nicely from Robot Wars because mm-hmm. I've gone for Scrap Cube Challenge. And this actually launched in 1998, so the same year as Robot Wars. So it was obviously a good year for mechanical-based game shows. Uh, and then it finished in 2010. So a little bit more tw- uh, noughties than the 90s, mm-hmm. I recognise. But there you go. It started in the 90s. And it was originally hosted by Robert Llewellyn of... Red Dwarf and Crichton mm-hmm. fame, of course, for 10 of the 11 series. The 11th series was presented by Dick Strawbridge uh, of Escape to the Chateau fame for any mm-hmm. UK TV viewers. Uh, who was, was, actually it, a... was it rebooted in 2020 with Ryland Clark Neal at the helm? 
and cancelled after two two and <laughs> uh, No, not this one, but there is still time. The uh, the pilot was actually presented by Sally Gray. Do you remember Sally Gray? I don't think I do. No. She was a Scottish kids TV presenter who presented Fifty uh, Fifty on CBBC. Right now, I know exactly who you mean. Yes, yes. Yep. and also a program called It'll Never Work, which I had totally forgotten about until I um, saw that on Wikipedia researching this. Um, so she did the pilot, but then it was yeah, Robert Llewellyn mm-hmm. uh, with a co-host. So Stu, can you name the two co-hosts of Scrap Deep Challenge? Oh, um, I think the first one was was one of the people who created it. Or, or, or sort of co-created it, but I can't remember. It's it's a lady, but I can't remember the name. Mm. Uh, and then I, I don't have a clue on the second, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Fair enough. It was Kathy Rogers was the first one. That's it. Mm-hmm. First series two, three, and four. And then Lisa Rogers, no relation, was the second co-presenter. Lisa Rogers is more famous. I think she was famous for doing other things as well. And, yeah, both very good, effective co-presenters, I think. Uh, and, uh, yeah, along with... Robert Llewellyn, I think, was a great presenter for it. The premise was that there would be two teams of four. They would go into the scrapyard and then they would be tasked with building something uh, using whatever they could scavenge from the scrapyard. So some examples were they had to build a catapult that was capable of firing a car. There was a bridging machine one, a jet car one. Uh, and so, yeah, they would have to just scrub around, find what they could and put, put them together and then... Their, their machines would uh, battle it out to, mm-hmm. to to be the most effective. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I just think, again, it's a really good concept. It's sort of compelling that idea, you know, you kind of think, oh, what would I do? How would it work? You know, what would really be in, in the scrapyard? Would it be possible? And I think there's just something very satisfying about watching people construct or fix things. And there's so many programs that feed off that, mm-hmm. isn't there? Like... Yeah. Um, Wheeler Dealers is one of the most successful car shows. I think it is the most, or maybe the second most successful car show in the world. Uh, And that is just someone fixing up a car. And you've got stuff like Lego Masters, which I know you're a fan of, Stu. Certainly. It's just watching people, you know, do stuff with their hands effectively. The Reassembler with James May. Yeah, I was going to mention that if you didn't. It's it's a very basic programme, but it's it's compelling. So I think that's why it was a good programme and that's why I picked it. Um, I assume I've always assumed that they must have set that scrapyard up quite carefully. Like they must have planted the key things around. I don't believe they really took just random stuff that happened to be there. Do you? I suppose there must have been an element of um, of stage management involved in order to make sure that they could actually build something that worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. It strikes me as um, yeah that, that that would be the case. It never culminated with one team building a quite a successful catapult and another team just being like, oh, well, we've got like, this shopping trolley and we've kind of attached it to this thing. And if you kind of push it, it kind of moves. Yeah. It. it was never like that. So, yeah, um, I'm sure they, they, they carefully stage managed it. But that is, that's not to take anything away from the the the, the, the fun of watching it and, and the entertainment factor. And, and to me, it's classic Sunday late afternoon TV where you can't be bothered to get off the sofa uh, and do anything else. And it's good enough to hold your attention. And I think sometimes that's all you need from a game show. So that's why I picked it. Just good, solid, satisfying fun. Excellent. Great choice. Um, I'm afraid to say I've never seen an episode of Scrappy Challenge. Oh. But obviously I did do some research when uh, when you told me you'd picked it. What I do remember is a 
it was another Channel 4 series. I don't, I don't know if you have any recollection of this, called Salvage Squad, mm. um, which was sort of the same thing, but it was a team of a team of expert mechanics and restorers who would go and help somebody who had a car or a Ferris wheel or, uh, you know, a, a bridge or, or something that, you know, mechanical that needed to be, they needed help with restoring. Hosted initially by Lee Hurst, who's another problematic character in, uh, in, yeah. in the current in the current current era, and then hosted by Suggs. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, I might have that the other way around. I'm not sure, um, <laughs> but that was another another and that was a series that I did watch, um, which was sort of along the same lines. But um, but I think I might have missed the boat with Scrapping Challenge if it was presented by Crichton and uh, and uh, obviously is the original and best. Then um, I should definitely have uh, have had a look into that instead. But no, great choice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, worth worth looking uh, looking up and uh, checking out if you get a chance. So that's all our choices then. Did you have anything else you wanted to discuss? I think you do, don't you? I've got a couple of honourable mentions. Yeah. Um, so firstly, I wanted to talk about, uh, as I said, the the nine twenty five game show slot, which used to be very important um, to me, particularly in the school holidays um, when I was at primary school. And as I said, there would always be a game show in between the various uh, morning TV programmes, one of which was win, lose or draw, uh, presented at various points by uh, two of my favourite broadcasters, Danny Baker and Bob Mills, um, which I always loved. Essentially, it's Pictionary um, on the TV. And uh, again, it, it was that sort of big break element of you had a member of the public teamed up with two celebrities or actors or um, or, or, or something along along those lines. And I remember being very excited one week or one Monday when I realised that all week on Win, Lose or Draw, um, Andrew Paul, who was the actor who played PC Dave Quinnan, who was my favourite character in the bill, um, was going to be on Win, Lose or Draw all week. And uh, I remember be, being very excited when uh, when I knew that was going to happen. The other one, which I have less of a recollection of, but uh, but definitely a recollection of making my dad VHS it for me, uh, while I was at school, so I didn't miss it, is one called Runway, which was hosted by Richard Maidley and um, was was um, based around travel. Um, <laughs> okay. And uh, and yeah, all the questions were geography based, and then you would win a trip at the end if if you went through. Um, I, I don't have a lot to say about Runway, but I do remember being oddly being a fan of it when I was like five or six. Um, five so, or six. Yeah, yeah, I know, um, right? Precocious, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bamboozle. Do you know what I do you know what I mean mm. when I when I say I about can bamboozle? picture this this the screen of it, yeah. <laughs> so we're not talking TV game show or quiz show per se here, but this was a quiz that you could uh, do yourself through the magic of teletext. Um hosted by Bamba Boozler. And then on a Sunday, his son, Buster Boozler, would host the uh, the kids' version of Bamboozle. So once a week there'd be a kids' version, as I recall. Um, and you played it with the fast text buttons on your remote. So four answers would come up to the question. You'd press red for one answer, green for another answer, yellow and blue, etc. And as I recall, I think there were 10 questions and I think you had three lives. Um, yeah. But many happy hours playing bamboos along the, on teletext as well. And finally, I'd like to mention a show called Public Enemy Number One. Now, does this uh, does this mean anything to you? The, the title sounds familiar, but it could be something else i'm thinking okay so this is from 1992 um celebrities predict what members of the public will do in a series of setup pranks 
so it's a it's a tried and tested format they've got you know there's there's cameras trained on members of the public there's something going on and then there's a panel of celebrities uh, who who guess what the um try and guess how the public will react this is regarded as the biggest tv entertainment flop of all time <laughs> according to um our chosen resource for this episode uh, the uk game shows website which is fantastic and i highly recommend you to go and have a visit there uh, this lasted for seven episodes in 1992, hosted by Bobby Davro. It's notable for one moment. Oh, I know, I know what the moment. I think I know <laughs> what the moment is. Um, so there was some sort of end of series revenge stunt at mm. the end at the end of the first series, and Bobby Davro was placed in a set of stocks, <laughs> um, which promptly then fell over um, and ended with him breaking his nose on the studio floor. Yes. Um, now. This was never um, this was never broadcast, but it has been used in BBC safety videos, uh, <laughs> um, apparently. Um, and I'm sure it's out there on YouTube, etc. But because I'm such an anxious man, I've never actually plucked up the courage to watch it because <laughs> I know somebody's going to get injured, and I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've watched it numerous times because it is one of the <laughs> most most incredible bits of television you'll ever see. I do urge anyone who isn't too squeamish to go and check it out. Just type in Bobby Davro um, stocks accident or something like that. Mm. And maybe we'll put a link to it in the episode description and uh, everyone apart from the student go and look at it. But it is, I can see why it was used for their health and safety visit, uh, videos ever since. Mm. Um, because it's, 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 it's ill-judged, ill-advised, ill-thought-out, uh, poorly conducted and... Um, <laughs> basically ends with Jim Bowen sort of panicking and and just everything is done badly and it's just it's well worth watching if you can stomach it but uh, oh. yes. is, there, is, there, is there blood? No, 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 no. Right, I think, okay. I think the, injury, the injuries are far more internal but uh, Alright, okay and this, you know, I served as a I served as a, as a physio for a non-league football team for a number of years and and, and this is the sort of thing that, that I, I can't watch um so, <laughs> you know, fair you know, so <laughs> this is why i've had to retire <laughs> yeah. um but yeah no th those are my honorable mentions um so uh do you have any uh i thought it's worth sort of just giving a shout out to the the more ac the really actiony ones like crystal maze and and fort boyard and challenge annika had a lot of mm -hmm. running around but i think that was mainly annika rice doing the running there and then i think at the other end of the spectrum to those action ones you've got the most sedate which i think is 15 to 1 that was sort of your your pensioner special lunchtime on Channel Four, I think, fifteen to yeah. one, mm -hmm. um, presented by a presenter I cannot remember the name of. What was his name? William, William G. Stewart. William G. Stewart. Yeah. Did he also come up with the format? Quite possibly. Yeah. yeah, I think he invented it as well. Yeah, it was good, simple quizzing. So yeah, that that was good. That, that was all I had to mention. Really, and I, I I kind of regret not talking about. They think it's all over just because of. It's interesting to look into where all those those people have got to in their lives subsequent to that program. We don't want to, we've already mentioned Lee Hurst once. Come on, yeah, yeah. Um, and that that I did watch that a lot as a, as a teenager, so that would have been interesting. But um, we'll have to save it for uh, for another episode. Um, and we do have some correspondence on this, don't we, Stu? A little bit, I think we do. On Twitter, request the nineties got in touch to say who wants to be a millionaire was their favourite quiz show of the nineties. Uh, a massive step forward in terms of prize fund and production values. 
got everything right from the music to the host. It's basically doubt the game shows. You can take a stab at any question, yet rarely be 100% sure of the answer. I'm surprised that we didn't mention Who Wants to Be a Millionaire until now because it came along in the late 90s, but it really was a total game changer in terms of the quiz show. Um, yeah. There'd, there'd been nothing like it. And uh, it really, it really, it really was appointment viewing, um, yeah. For, for for a couple of years at least, and and the, I I remember the buzz around the um, uh, the first millionaire who was Judith Keppel, I think, who went mm -hmm. on to went yeah. on to become an egghead. Yes. Um, but no, definitely thanks to uh, thanks to Request the Nineties for for nominating that because definitely worthy of a mention here. Yeah. Oh, huge! It was that that I mean that figure of one million pounds is just mm -hmm. yeah it did change everything. I do think it's the most boring thing to watch repeats of, though. Because, like, um, in contradiction to what I said earlier about quite liking old quiz shows that come up on Challenge TV or whatnot, something about Who Wants to Be a Millionaire I just find ins insufferably boring. Even the new ones now, I think. it's It's got the big blockbuster prize, you know, but so much of it is just watching, waiting for people to answer a question mm -hmm. or answering questions that are really easy. It's, yeah, there's something about that I think, yeah, I'm not a fan of so much anymore, but it was huge when it came out for sure. On our Instagram, we have heard from Tom23, which I believe is... That's Tom Page. Yeah, Tom Page. My good, my good friend and our new correspondent. He has said, uh, it's got to be Fort Boyard for me. Uh, the real Tigers used to fascinate me. I can always remember Big Break being on a Saturday night too uh, and being amazed by the trick shots. So something he shares with you there, Stu. Brilliant. Good man, Tom. Um, yeah. Fort Boyard also presented by, at some point, by Melinda Messenger, I believe. Well, she was mm -hmm. there, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, Wessex's finest uh, glamour model. And then Ben Woodhouse, also on Instagram, says, Bob Mills. Uh, this is because, Stu, you had posted on Instagram in preparation for this episode, a picture of Bob Mills. Mm -hmm. um, and Ben Woodhouse says, Bob Mills, that face is such a blast from the past. I totally forgot he existed. And having just had a look in a bizarre case of where are they now, he wrote the screenplay for the 2005 film Pierpoint. My mind was blown by that. I've seen Pierpoint. It's a really good film. It's like a completely very serious, high sort of high end uh, Timothy Spall film about Britain's last executioner. Mm -hmm. um, so the very last thing you'd expect someone like Bob Mills to be writing a screenplay for. <laughs> Thank you, Ben Woodhouse, for pointing that out to us, because, um, yeah, totally, I, I would never have known otherwise. But um, If we ever do a Forgotten TV part two, I'd love to talk about Bob Mills' series In Bed With Me Dinner, um, <laughs> which was essentially a, um, a, a, a the forerunner of Harry Hill's TV burp, um, where ah, he, would, nice. he would get clips from different TV programmes and play them back and, and commentate on them. Um, yeah. And that that ran in the early '90s, and sort of late at night on ITV, and I've watched all of those as well. And very very funny series. So um, yeah, I'd like to talk about that, and obviously Spender, which I missed out as well. So I've already got a list going for Forgotten TV Part Two. Yeah, that's the thing about forgotten topics, isn't it? That you gradually remember them because they were forgotten. Yeah. So there'll be another one for sure at some point. But I think that about wraps us up for game shows, does it not? Well, can I make a suggestion just before we finish? Go on. Because the pressure's killing me now. I am willing to watch live on the pod the clip of Bobby Davro oh. of the stocks. Okay, let's do right. it. This is, this is great we'll content. Some, and then we'll get some live reaction. Is, right. is this the sort of thing that we want? This is exactly, this is Gonzo podcasting. This is what we want. <laughs> uh, I'm going to type it in now. 
so we can watch it exactly the same time. Yeah, okay. Type in oh. Bobby Da, and you got the first choice is Bobby Davra, second choice is Bobby Davra belly flop, and that's the one you want. <laughs> you cannot believe how I'm feeling right now. Oh no, <laughs> it's actually there's a different video where he does a belly uh, belly flop. The right. game's 2003. Dave Bobby Davro's belly flop, but it's the next one down in the stocks. Bobby Davro's face plant almost killed him. It's the name of the video. Um, 788,000 views on YouTube as it stands. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. Tell me when you're ready to play. The things I do for this podcast. Okay, right. I'm ready when you are. Okay. Three, two, one, play. Right, he's in the stocks. There's there's Jim Bowen, there's Lionel Blair. Okay. Yeah. Is that Keith Chegwin as well? It's, it's Cheggers on the right. Yeah. And we're, we're a real motley crew. <laughs> they, they've pulled his trousers down. They're now sort of dancing, singing, yeah. always looking up. Oh. oh, there he goes. And this, this, this is why it's now used for uh, health and safety uh videos at the bbc now because what do you do when someone has potentially got a life-threatening neck or spinal injury you um you of course just try and drag them straight back up again while still in the stocks um i like the um i like the the sort of caption that the whoever's posted this um video has put up here with it with a series of bullet points last yeah. minute good idea Pillory, which must mean the stocks, purchased yeah. by the prop buyer. Pillory assembled incorrectly. Pillory should have been designed as part of the overall production set. Yeah. Um, and just as I was watching there, when he falls over, you just hear somebody go, oh, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's um, Cheggers. That, if you listen that's again, Cheggers. that's Cheggers doing that. Let me, let me just play back because I, I feel a bit better about the whole thing now. So uh, yeah. the point of impact here. Here we go. Right. Let's see. Come on, come on, come on. I like Lionel Blair sort of um, just stood there, kind of holds his finger up, like <laughs> not quite knowing what to do. <laughs> um, um, so there's uh, j just just while we finish here. Sorry, I know we're dragging on a bit uh, this now. So um, uh, somebody's commented under the Twitter, under the um, YouTube to say this remains by some considerable distance the funniest thing Bobby Davro has ever done. <laughs> Yeah, very true. <laughs> um, there's also an excerpt here from Keith Chegwin's autobiography, which is quite long. Um, so uh, I uh, <laughs> I won't read it out, but it, it looks like the studio floor was concrete. Uh, I can't tell you what it sounded like as he nosedived into the floor. Uh, he was conscious but delirious, sunk out, stunned. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, apparently it was Keith Chegwin's worst day of his career. Mm. Which is saying something. Um, <laughs> this is someone who did Naked Jungle later on. So. <laughs> but OK, yeah. right, I feel better now for having done that. And I hope that's provided some some good content to end on. That's that's good. I'm glad you uh, you, you thought to do that. <laughs> uh, oh, so there's another comment here. It says Davro was paralysed from the chest down by this accident, but later came back and Doctor Who is Bobby Davros. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. We have to finish there. We have to finish there. <laughs> <laughs> right um yeah the comments are worth watching that video for if nothing else mm -hmm. okay that's it we we have talked for far longer than we were expecting i think on on 90s game shows but it just shows you 
how much how much great material there is out there and how much content there is so um we'll yeah. make no apologies for that but yes if you do have any thoughts on your favorite game shows of the 90s or any moments anything that can top that uh, bobby davro fail then please do let us know on our usual channels we do of course as mentioned in the last episode have a new link where everything can be found which is our link tree so if you go to linktr.ee forward slash all right 90s podcast that's where all our links are of course we will put that in the episode description below so you can click on that rather than trying to type it based on what i've just read out there which is a bit clunky and uh yeah please do contact us because we would love to hear from you um and that's about it we again as usual tradition now we don't know exactly what we're doing next time <laughs> well we're keeping you and ourselves on our toes by doing it on the fly mm-hmm. um but i think it makes for great podcasting so you know absolutely gone so podcasting it. as you said yeah but yeah yeah in, until two weeks from now have a lovely couple of weeks and yeah it's goodbye from me uh it's goodbye from me i'm just off to have a set of stocks properly made <laughs> Goodbye. See ya. The first thing I should say, probably, is that... There goes Hawthorne <laughs> <laughs> There it goes. It's going to yeah. come through the window behind you in a minute. Um... <laughs>